0: was improvised. And I appreciate the guys being flexible. I appreciate you guys being flexible. Um, Church, I was at a conference this weekend and we were talking about rethinking church. And it was kind of cool for us because um, we don't have a whole lot of tradition that we have to overcome whenever we want to change something. If we want to change something, we kind of get everybody in a room and just talk about it a little bit. and, And then we go, so, should we change? And everybody goes, yeah, let's do it. And we just kind of change. Um, but uh, what I want church to be, what I desire for this church to be, is this place filled with people who, at least for one hour a week, don't focus on themselves. When we go into the new building, and we're going to be talking about this more in the, in the weeks ahead, but when we move into the new building... Um, I want us to be known as this unbelievably service-minded, family-friendly church. That's, that's my goal for New Life, is that when, when somebody steps on the property, they are overwhelmed with people who are not concerned about themselves. They're overwhelmed with people that, that are first-time guests, second-time guests. Because if you've ever been someplace where it's your first time to be there, what are you thinking? When you walk in the doors, are you thinking, this is going to be the greatest experience of my life? No, you're, you're probably thinking, where's the bathroom? Where's the exit in case this is really freaky? You know, I mean, you're thinking things like that because you don't know. And those of us who've been here for four or five years in this church, I think it's going to be good for us to move into a new building because it's going to be new to all of us. None of us are going to know where the bathroom is and you know where the children's rooms are. Um, but it's going to be good so that we, we are reminded that, that we do not exist for us. The church exists for the people who aren't even here. And if we can remember that and have this service mindset, and then we are going to do some radical things in the next year or two, family-friendly stuff, because we believe that that your relationship with your children is worth fighting for. And we're going to help you. We're, as a church, we're going to fight Um, for your relationship with your kids and I don't care what age they are we're going to remind you and we're going to try to help you to fight for your relationship with your kids Um, this is just this is something that is going to consume us over the next three to five years is being service minded and being family friendly if we do those two things well God is going to honor us and, and blow our minds with what he's going to do okay better get to today when I was 15, um, I was a typical 15 year- old. I had actually been driving since I was 12, just not legally. Uh, when we we were working on some baseball fields which were outside the city limits, and Dad had this old three- on- the tree truck. You remember three on the tree? Uh, most of you don't. Just you used to shift up here, okay? And it was it was first, second, third, and reverse was back here, wasn't it? Yeah. First, second, third, yeah. And uh, reverse was back up this way. Anyway, so I was at 12, I began driving this truck because we'd need loads of dirt to come up and, and fix our uh, Little League baseball field. And Dad would be working out there on the pitcher's mound. He'd say, Doug, go get a load. I'm like, yeah! And I'm driving like an idiot out there, but having a great time because even if I hit something, it wouldn't matter. So I'd been driving since I was 12. So when I got my learner's permit at 15, I was, I was totally convinced that I was a better driver than my mom. And and I always thought she should want me to drive when we went somewhere, so I was pestering her constantly. And mom mom would just give in because my will was stronger than her will. She had trained me that if I pestered her enough, she would give in. Mom, I gotta drive, gotta drive, gotta drive. She'd throw the keys at me, fine. And she would think that if she threw the keys at me with enough disgust that maybe I'd go, Oh mom, I'm so sorry. I'm like, Pff. you know, I'm driving. I don't care how disgusted you are, I'm driving. Well, in Borger, my my hometown where I grew up, Main Street does this little S-curve through town. And it's where everybody went on Friday and Saturday nights because there was nothing else to do. Now, if you go to downtown Palestine, it was similar only instead of one-way, it was two-way. So you had this S-curve and you had angled-in parking on each side of Main Street. So it's about four and a half blocks long, something like that, is where we would do the main drag. Well, this one day, it was in the afternoon, it was after school, and I asked mom if I could drive to go run some errands. And she said, sure, and let me drive. Now, what I'm doing is I'm trying to be as cool as possible in case any of my peers who are also driving their mother's cars might see me. Because, you know, my peers, we didn't have cars, so you had to be driving your mom's car. So I'm being cool. I'm driving down Main Street in Borger, Texas, having a good time. And I'm thinking I'm cool. And you have to understand, Main Street, Borger, Texas is where all the little old ladies with blue hair and the cars the size of of oil barges, that's where they drive. And so angled-in parking, and when you're in a car that big, you don't have to look to see who's behind you. You just take charge and go. Well, I'm driving down trying to be cool, and this little old lady in a barge-sized car comes flying out. And, And my reaction was swift and loud. I said, what the bleep is she doing? And I gripped the steering wheel because I realized my mom had turned and these lasers were just piercing the side of my head. And I thought, if I don't make eye contact, maybe she won't say anything. Maybe she didn't hear it. And so this awkward silence, Mama goes, so is this how we're talking around our friends nowadays? No, 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 Mom, no, Mom, I love Jesus. I go to church every Sunday morning. I, I don't know, she just scared me. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> well, my mom knew her Bible. We were in church every time the doors were open. Mom knew her Bible, and she knew this verse. Um, I think it's on your listening guide. Yeah, Luke six forty five. Here's what it says. Mom knew this, and she nailed me. A good person produces good deeds from a good heart, and an evil person produces evil deeds from a what? Oh, look what this says, because this just steps all over me. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Oh, dear Jesus. Whatever is in my heart determines what I say. Well, I think it even goes deeper than that. Whatever is in your heart determines what you do. Whatever is in your heart determines what you give. What is on the inside, Jesus says, is what's going to come to the outside. And uh, what's inside matters. I read about this guy, and this is supposedly a true story, who used to work, and he worked at night, and he would walk because he didn't have transportation. Is quite a ways, several miles to where his job was, and so he found this shortcut, but it was through a cemetery. And so one night he's cutting through the cemetery. It's dark, he doesn't have flashlight, and there are no stars or moon in the sky. And he falls into a freshly dug grave. And they did a really good job with this one because try as he might, dude could not get out of the grave. Tried for hours. He's finally exhausted. Nobody knows where he is. Who's going to go look in the cemetery for him? You know? So nobody knows where he is. And he finally just decides to sit down. He's going to quit expending all this energy. He's going to sit down in the corner and he's going to wait for morning and hope that maybe the cemetery caretakers come out there so he can holler at them and, and maybe get saved. Sitting in the corner, he falls asleep. Sometime after he fell asleep, another man comes walking through the cemetery, falls into the same grave. But because it's so stinking dark, he doesn't see the other guy asleep in the corner. And this guy is trying desperately to get out, desperately to get out. While he's clawing the walls trying to get out of this grave, the man who was asleep wakes up, reaches out and touches him on the back, (laughs) and says... You know you can never get out of here. And that dude says in two seconds, he was up and gone! Not gone in 60 seconds, up, gone in two seconds, he discovered this new ability to leap out of freshly dug graves in a single bound. And he was gone and did not come back to help his friendly neighbor who scared Jesus out of him. Um. What made the difference? Why was this guy who couldn't get out of the grave, why was he suddenly able to get out of the grave? Adrenaline. Now, where do you get adrenaline? Is it, is it a steroid shot? Is it uh, HGH? Actually, there is a shot. My brother has to carry one. Um, he has anaphylactic shock. If he goes into this, this shock where he has this allergic reaction, his lungs swell up and all that. So he carries an adrenaline shot. That would be kind of cool. Um, Drew McQuish, you all know Drew, his brother has to carry as well, because it's kind of a freaky deal, anaphylactic shock. But, but most of us don't have an adrenaline shot. Do you realize that adrenaline is already inside you? It's there. But homeboy didn't know how to tap into it. I guarantee if he could have, you know, like the Hulk gets mad, and then he gets superhuman strength, you know. If you could have, you know, maybe get, getting scared. That's kind of the Hulk-like reaction, all of a sudden, he was able to jump up and get out because he tapped into something that was already in existence, something he already had in his body. Now, most of you are not completely satisfied with your relationship with Jesus. Is that a fair assessment? Um, I'm not. I've been, I've been doing preaching thing a while and, and minister thing a while. I'm not completely satisfied with my relationship with Christ. If you were satisfied you probably would not come to church. I mean, if you don't think you need Jesus, why would you come to church week after week? Why would you go to a small group? Why would you um, listen to Christian music? Why would you do those things if you think that you are where you need to be? And um, what, what you come to realize is, I'm guessing, this, I'm just guessing, you, tell, you nod your head if I'm right. What, what you've probably done is you've tried to live life your way and it doesn't work. Right, Or, I had these friends, and they said, so I did, and that didn't work, right? And so you realize that that, um, there's got to be more to this life. I mean, the whole reason Janie and I banked everything, our future on building this church was because we thought church mattered. God mattered to people. And we wanted to reach people that the regular churches weren't reaching. We don't have anything against regular church. We just wanted to reach people that they weren't reaching. And and here's what I want you to know. Everything, if you're a follower of Christ, everything you possibly need to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ talks about exists in you. But you don't know how to tap into it. And if you could tap into it, you'd get out of the rut that you're in. A rut is really just a grave with the ends knocked out. If you're in a rut, maybe you need to tap into Jesus Christ today so you can get out of that grave and get where you want to go. Jesus never said it was going to be easy. I don't know where this comes from. People think that if I become a Christian, my life is great. No more problems. I've got news for you. Problems are the way that God molds you to look look more like Jesus Christ. And His greatest desire is for you to look like Christ. If He has to choose between your character and your comfort, He's always going to choose your character. Just get that in your head. And in in order for your character to be formed, it means you're going to have to go through tough times. And I know some some of you told me this. I've had enough tough times. God needs to come through. Well, maybe when we finally get to the bottom of our efforts or the bottom of trying everybody else's way, maybe that's, God is waiting for you to get there. He's already there, and then He's ready to pick you up and help you tap into something you didn't even know you had. If you're not a Christ follower, you don't have that power. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, would you say that's good power? Is that powerful if, if, if you're dead and then you raise somebody from the dead? Is that power? Ephesians says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to His followers, but we don't tap into it. And and I'm going to tell you why. Because we try to do life our way, or our friend's way, or our parent's way, and we don't do life God's way. So today, we're going to look at how to get on God's plan. We've been talking about this for three weeks. Here's the first step to get on God's plan, and that's to get a new heart. Your heart is diseased, my heart is diseased, and I need a new one. And Ezekiel 36, 26 says, God is speaking, He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God not only gives you a new heart, He says that His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, takes up residence in your life the moment you become a Christian. That means everything you need to live this abundant life, to live this life that God desires is already implanted in you. And God changes you from the inside out. He wants to change your attitudes. He wants to change your actions. But He starts with your heart and spreads out from there. And this heart transplant is the first place that God is going to begin to work in your life and then He's going to spread to other areas. And the only way you can get this new heart is to admit to God, my heart is jacked up. My heart is full of sin. I want to do things my way. I am on the throne. I need a new heart, and I'm giving you my heart. And really, what worship is, we say this a lot, what worship is, is exchanging hearts with God. It's being reminded that there is a spiritual reality that I cannot see. And when I come to, to church and when I worship, is when I come and I give my heart to God and I leave with his heart. He leaves with mine, I leave with his. That's real worship. And when you worship, that's why when you leave from a true worship experience, whether it's in your car listening to Christian music or whether, when you leave from a true worship experience, you have a peace that you don't understand. That's scriptural. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when you worship, God gives you this peace and He gives you the ability to make it through the day. Now, once you get the new heart, that's the beginning of of the training sessions. Um, God wants your heart to become more and more like His and so how He does that is through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit... Some people, it's not your conscience. The Holy Spirit is much uh, sharper than your conscience because if you do a sin enough, you become able to continue to do that sin without even thinking about it. You know, you become callous. The Holy Spirit will pierce your heart and you'll know something is wrong or you'll see somebody and you'll know you're supposed to do something and you may choose not to The Holy Spirit is always going to um, challenge you to serve, always going to challenge you to do something that causes you to give up your rights for the sake of someone else. Um, And so when God begins to nudge you onto His plans, here's step two. You get the new heart, but here's step two. God then wants you to see the needs around you. Um, One of the most famous stories in the Bible is is the story of the Good Samaritan. Because Jesus is telling the story because the guy tries to trick him and he says, "Um, you know, who's my neighbor? Because Jesus said, love your neighbor. Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. And he goes, well, who's my neighbor? Trying to justify himself. So Jesus tells this story. And he says, well, there was a man going from Jerusalem down to Jericho and it goes down this steep rocky crag where it's real easy for people to hide, robbers to hide. And he says that he has jumped on, beaten and robbed and left for dead. So the preacher comes by. And the preacher sees the need and what does he do? The need is here. He gets as far away from the need as he can. I've dealt with needy people all Sunday morning. God, I don't want any more. So he walks over here and walks by. A priest comes by. What does he do? Sees the need. Woo! No, thank you. Might get blood on my hands. Might have AIDS. Might get Something. So he goes as far away as he can. Now there's a, there's a Veggie Tales that that does a really good job of explaining this. The reason that the priest, the preacher, and the rabbi, the reason they didn't stop and help, is because they were so busy doing good things. Check this out. Young man, I have noticed your dial situation, and please rest assured that I share your frustration. But. Uh... How can I put this? Oh, what can I say? Ah, maybe you understand better this way. Is that music? I'm busy, busy, dreadfully busy. You've no idea what I have to do. Busy, busy, shockingly busy. Much, much too busy for you. Oh, I So in this one, this version, Larry is upside down in a hole and, and the preacher says, I'm busy, busy, shockingly busy. You've no idea what I have to do. I, we showed this to our kids, so I've got all of these memorized. Um, the people who should have known better, they saw the needs, but they didn't respond to them. And then the dreaded Samaritans. The reason the Jews hated the Samaritans is because they, were, they intermarried with people with the Gentiles. The Gentiles were not the people of God. The Jews were the people of God. And so in their minds, the Samaritans were half-breeds. They disobeyed God, went and married someone from another race that God told them not to marry. And the reason He told them not to marry was their, their spiritual thing. It had nothing to do with their racial color, skin color, any of that stuff. It was because they would be a snare to them and lead them away from the true God. They intermarried, and so the true Jews of true blood hated the Samaritans. And Jesus tells the story, and He says, The Samaritan, traveling the road, came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. Now, you have this on your listening guide, and I want you to circle some words for me. Circle, saw him when he saw the man's condition, and then heart went out to him. Here's the problem. Wounded people are all around us. We just don't see them. And then if we try to knock on their door and you know give them some verses about Jesus, <laughs> they don't want to listen because we don't really care. And when we get in our new building and, and we are inviting the whole city to come, if we don't have relationships with people. That, We don't really see their needs. They're not coming. The people who come, 99% of the people who come, somebody else in our church befriended them and said, hey, why don't you come give this a try? We've tried advertising. We've tried door hangers. (laughs) Some of you are laughing because you helped with the door hangers. And um, Danielle and Caleb were nearly accosted. doing the Lord's work. Um, We've tried a lot of stuff, but the only time that people come are when somebody connects with them and invites them. That's the way Christianity is spread. And chances are you pass somebody today who's hurting on your way to church today. Chances are you're sitting on the road with somebody who's hurting right now. And the only way we're going to make any difference is when we see people, listen to them, and let our hearts go out to them. And and then when you see the needs around you, here's the deal. This is where we will find out the condition of your heart and the condition of my heart. Because when we see the need, we can respond in one of three ways. Again, this is on your listening guide. The first attitude is the, who me? My kids have learned that when I say, whose clothes are in the living room? I don't really want to know whose clothes are in the living room. Who's ever clothes they are had better be moving in the living room to fetch them. I'm not interested... Yeah, you're laughing, aren't you? are laughing i am not interested in, in to whom they belong. I'm interested in that person removing them from my sight. And so my kids are like... Because, you know, Hannah's finally figured this out. She's the youngest, but used to... I think they're mine. You know, you'd hear from the back of the room while she's continuing to play her video game. Well, you better come get it. Just a minute. Oh, no. That's the wrong thing to say in my household. Um, but they don't do that now. Whose is it? And Rachel. Rachel is like, she never wants to break any rules. Rachel will come flying from whatever part of the house she's in just to make sure it's not hers. I'm coming, Daddy. I don't know if it's mine or not. A lot of people, when there's a need, they're like, somebody else can meet that need. Me? You want me to serve? You want me to give? <laughs> you don't know my condition. God does. You want me to do what? I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough money. God, you need to get somebody else. Doug, you need to get somebody else. When you respond that way with the who-me attitude, your heart begins to harden and you stop listening to God. Um, Who-me reveals the condition of your heart. And Philippians 2, 4 says this. This is just straight from God's Word. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. The who-me person... As themselves in their sight and not God because when I see what Jesus Christ did on the cross I'm motivated to help anybody when I don't see Jesus Christ dying on the cross I see me and then I'm like someone else can do that there's another way that you could respond when you see the need and it's when I feel like it I'll do something how many of you feel like cleaning the toilets right now no one yeah Danae raised her hand, but now she's telling you to hush. She was just kidding. <laughs> I don't feel like cleaning toilets. I've done it many times. I hate it. We, we have a root. I know what the problem is. We have a root that's in our, one of our main sewer lines. And so I have, I have worked it out where I can clear the root, you know, temporarily just to get the toilet to go down. I've figured out the easiest way because I've dug it up once and redone the stuff and I didn't get it quite right and so a root has come back and, and I hate going out there and cleaning. You know, we have to open up the little drain thing on the outside and run stuff down in there and clean it out and there is nothing fun about that. But sometimes I have to do it because nobody else in my family is going to. I mean, right? Sometimes you have to do things that you don't really want to do. If you wait until you feel like it, you will never get anything done. How many of you just wake up and say, Oh, I feel like doing something disgusting today. What if you waited till you felt like it to change your kid's diaper? <laughs> Don't even wait till they feel like it, because I know kids that will go days without, you know, they're, not, they're fine carrying that stuff around. Don't wait till you feel like it. Look at Ecclesiastes 11.4. It says, If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Now, what this person really is saying is, when I feel like it, what they're really saying is, when it's convenient. Um, Do you get sick when it's convenient? Can you look on the calendar and figure the least busy time in, in your schedule and get sick then? Do car wrecks happen at the most convenient time? Do tires go flat? Do batteries go dead? at convenient times. No, it's always the least convenient time. If you wait until it's convenient, you're not going to get anything done. And and really, if you think about this when it's convenient, what is convenient is to ignore the right thing to do. Right? That's when it's convenient. It's inconvenient to do the right thing most of the time. Now, there's another way you can respond when you see the need, and that is just say the word. Now, some folks want to live their lives and they want to make them count on more than just the occasional acts of service. These folks say, you can count on me. You need somebody to set up chairs, I'm there. You need somebody to do this, I'm there. You need somebody to lead a small group, I'm there. You need somebody to give, I'm going to give. These people. You can't build a church. You can't begin a church, start a church without a group of these people. You can't sustain a church and grow a church without a larger group of these people. And, and as we move into the new building, we're going to have to have more of these folks. This is the folks that just say, you let me know and I'm, I'll be there. I'll help you. You can count on this level of giving. Put me on the schedule because I'm going to help with whatever needs to be done. You need to move the chairs? Yep, I'm there. Children's area? I'm there. I may not even like kids, but I'll pretend for an hour once a week so that I can help out. Small group leader? You need a home? You need meals? One of the best things you can do is, is take meals to, to parents of newborn. Right? Or to people who are grieving. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a funeral for an 84-year-old lady. And uh, one of our church members took some food to their house in the name of our church. So you all got credit for it. Just want you to know that. You all got credit for it. And he said, I can't believe your church brought all this food. I didn't do it. I just said... Well, you know we love you. He can't make the stairs. His wife couldn't make the stairs. She was praying that we would, for five years, she'd been praying that we would get a church building on the first floor so that she could come. And she went in the nursing home three weeks ago and died two weeks ago. I was praying. I was just going, Oh God, please let her make it. Please let her make it into the new building. Just one time because she'd been praying for so long. And her husband will be there. God willing, he'll be there when we open up the new building. Um, The problem with this level is this takes the greatest amount of commitment. And I think that's why it scares people. But if you want to invest your life in something that matters beyond this life, then you need to be involved in the church. Serving is worth the cost because you see your life making a difference. there is a level of Christianity that will never be reached. There is a depth of your walk with Christ that will never be reached until you learn to serve. And and we just got to... I just got to say this out loud. Janie and I were praying about this last night. Um, we always want people to come and feel comfortable. But we don't want you to feel comfortable just attending forever. And and really... we. We need to declare this all the time. If all you're going to do is come and sit, this is not the church for you. We need servers. If we're going to become the most service-oriented, family-friendly church, we can't have a lot of people sitting on their rears. We need people that serve. Um, I want to show you a picture of some heroes in our church. You know why they're my heroes? Because they serve. But I want to ask you, if you've ever... If you've ever looked at the faces of the people who work downstairs at 12 o'clock on Sunday mornings, just start noticing this. Look at the difference between the people who walk out of this room on Sunday mornings and the people who walk out of the two rooms below us. It's a big deal to them if I'm long-winded. They'll they'll, they'll tell me, dude, if you're going long, you need to tell us. Because they love your kids But there are times they will walk out, some of them, and I'm not kidding, some of them, their eyes are like this because your kids have been pretty wild. And they're not going to complain, but you watch, they need to go home and take a nap or a Lexapro or something because it gets kind of wild down there. You look at the difference of people that that, um, sit up here and the people who serve. And there's a huge difference. And there are times we have to get together with our workers and just tell stories of victory, of, tell stories of, of how life changes happen, because it gets old working every week and not ever having time off. Jesus was asked by a religious leader, what is the, how do you boil this whole Bible down? And again, they were trying to trick him. They were always trying to trick Jesus and it didn't work. And finally, there's a, there's a point in the New Testament where it says, they quit asking him questions because they could not catch him on it. They looked like fools. Well, he comes up and he says, Jesus, tell me the greatest commandment. Jesus says, okay, that's easy, love God. And then without even missing a beat, Jesus says, I'll tell you the second one. It's much like the first one. Second one is love people. And then he says, everything from cover to cover in this Bible revolves around those two things, love God, love people. And see, here's here's what we were talking about this week. We're trying to figure out what does a mature Christian look like? What does a mature follower of Christ look like? And we said that a mature follower of Christ is going to be someone who goes to church regularly because they want to worship God. They want to exchange hearts with God. And, uh, a mature follower of Christ is going to want to be with other Christians, so they're going to get involved in small groups. They're going to be places where other Christians are so that they can rub shoulders with them because those are filling things. But we also said there's a balance between the love God and love others because the love others people, they're the ones that are going to serve. But every time you serve... You get filled up. The Bible actually says worship God and serve Him only, and there's a reason that, that, that it's in that order. A lot of times people try to serve God by by pouring what they have into others. And when you do that, what happens to your cup? It gets empty. And so we say that when you love God, when you worship, you come and you get filled, no matter who's singing on the stage. You get filled because the focus is not these people up here the focus is on God and when I when I go to sometimes I don't want to go to small group I'll just be real honest with you I'm tired and I want some time off but every time I go God fills me up because I've been hanging out with other people who love Him and love me for whatever reason and they pray for me and we pray for each other one of the greatest things you can do is pray for me and I get filled up and then you know what I'm supposed to do when I get filled up? I'm supposed to find someone else and fill them up. So there's a balance between being filled with God and me pouring out myself for you. Because phone calls to go to the hospital don't come when it's convenient. My friend called me three weeks ago or two weeks ago on a Monday night at 9 o'clock. That's when my kids go to bed. That's when we go around and love our kids, kiss them, and put them in bed. And he calls me and he's just distraught. And he said, Dolly's on the way to the hospital and she's non-responsive. Can you meet me there? It's not convenient. Give me me 45 minutes to put my kids to bed and have my little nighttime snack. And I'll be there. This man almost couldn't get to the hospital. He was so distraught. He was driving down the wrong side of the road. And I was just going, oh dear God, get him in the parking lot. I'm watching. He gets out of the car, falls into my arms. And I have to almost carry him into the hospital. And he's just, he said, he goes, oh no, oh, is she gone? Is she gone? I said, I don't know. I haven't been in. I'm waiting on you. Is she gone? And, and all I could think of was, oh, she probably is. And, and sure enough, the, the nurse comes and the doctor comes and they tell us she's gone. She didn't die at a convenient time. And you're going to need folks. um, They're going to call you at inconvenient times and you've got got a choice to make. Am I going to be like Christ? Or am I not? And not everything's going to be that dramatic. Did you know that on a typical weekend, about 10% of our people serve? Now, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty because guilt is not a motivation that God uses. If God challenges you today, get mad at God. Don't get mad at me. Okay? Because I'm not trying to guilt anybody. If you feel guilty, you have permission not to serve. Because that's, that's not how God does things. But if God's Spirit begins to speak to you, then you respond to Him. On a typical weekend, 15 to 20% of our people give money. That's pretty weak. In a typical week, week 5% of our folks work on the building. Again, don't feel guilty. That's not, what, not my purpose here. But if God speaks to you, then, then you respond to Him. Um, in a typical week, 5% of our folks give leadership energy to this church, to making sure everything is working, that, that you know, all of the, the service goes the way it should, that all the administration happens so that this church can stay open. Um, and if we continue with those numbers it's a recipe for disaster we we cannot sustain or grow our church with those numbers so how do we how do we then do better if you want to do better not only can you see the needs and say okay i want to be a just say the word person move on to step 3 step 3 is step out of your comfort zone and into the serving zone step out of your comfort zone Did you know kindness is like a muscle? That as you are kind, you your capacity to be kind is greater. And when you're unkind, your capacity, capacity to be unkind grows. It's like a muscle. So you've got to use it or lose it. Um, and we always say that it's better to give than to receive, but I want to know how often do we live that out? Because... If you sit around with some of our children's workers, which I got to this weekend at a conference, and, and no matter how tired they get, when they start thinking about God connecting with a child, they get excited. Their heartbeat beats a little faster. And you can see in their eyes, the fire come back, the glaze that was once there is replaced by this desire. And, and they're, they're like, okay. I actually had somebody this weekend say, oh, I'm ready to go again. I'm ready I'm ready to, to commit another year to this. And we're going to be asking some of you to make year-long commitments to serving in the weeks ahead. And it may be unnatural at first. One of my, one of the funniest things I ever heard was in the five love languages they were talking about. All of us have this unique love language. And one of the love languages is um, acts of service. That's mine. So when people do things for me or with me, it makes me feel loved. and fills my love tank. There's words of affirmation where you say kind things to someone and that motivates them. Um, There's physical touch and and a lot of men assume that because, you know, the sex thing, but it has nothing to do with with sex. It's non-sexual touch. And so the, the instructor said, if you're not a hugger, here's what you do. Take your arms and do this. Okay? Then do it again. Do that 3,000 times. And it begins not to feel so unnatural. And then he says, then put your spouse in there. Do that 3,000 times. But I am not a toucher. I'm not a hugger. Practice. And then it begins to feel not so unnatural. Some of you are going to say, oh, I I can't work with children. How do you know if you've never tried it? Don't tell me you can't vacuum. Don't tell me you can't slap on those nice rubber gloves and clean a toilet. I know better. But as, as you practice, those things become easier. So you just have to make a decision. That's what you do. You've got to say, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. My comfort zone might be right here, blending in, but, but God doesn't want us in our comfort zone. God grows us as we get out of our comfort zone. So you practice being kind. You serve your neighbors, serve your coworkers, serve your family. Um, be nice to your family. And when they ask you if you're sick because you're suddenly nice to them, just say, no, I've decided to take following Christ seriously. I've decided to grow up spiritually. And then the last thing... Oh, I'm sorry, there's two more. Number four, spend whatever it takes on what matters most. Spend whatever it takes on what matters most. It will always cost you to serve. It will cost you time, effort, talents, energy, privacy, convenience, money, kindness. Serving always costs. But I want you to see a promise of God if you'll step out and serve. Isaiah 58, 10 and 11. If you feed those who are hungry and take care of the needs of those who are troubled, then your light will shine in the darkness and you will be bright like uh, sunshine at noon. Then here's the promise. The Lord will always lead you. He will satisfy your needs. God says if you'll accept responsibility for meeting the needs that you see, then He will assume responsibility for meeting your needs. Well, how can you meet some needs? Serve in our children's area. Um, Last week, or two weeks ago, our nursery worker was up here and some of you didn't know her. (laughs) It had been that long since she'd been up here. She's on a romantic weekend with her husband this weekend. So we had... So more people step up and serve in her area. Um, maybe you need to serve in, in Celebrate Recovery. You want to talk about the safest place you could ever serve, it's in Celebrate Recovery. Because nobody pretends they have it all together. <laughs> Everybody in there knows they've got herd habits, and hang-ups, and so you can go serve there and just mess up all you want to. Uh, how can you meet some needs? You can begin giving. You can begin tithing. If you're tithing, you can move on to the next level here's the challenge that I have and and to be honest with you I I struggle with whether I should even say this to you because because this is bigger than anything I can do we are now making two payments We're, we're paying rent here and we're paying mortgage at the other building and I believe God wants us to pay off that building in five years I just believe we have a note for 15 years but I think that's wasting God's money I believe he wants us to pay off that building in, in five years. In order to do that, here's what we need. An extra $1,700 per month, over and above what you're currently giving. You don't get to take what you're currently giving and say, oh, well, I'll shift that. No, that doesn't work because we still have other bills. And in fact, I was supposed to have the, the budget at the back today and I just left them at home. So we'll have those next week for you to look at. Um, but if we had 17 people give a, an extra $100 we would pay off this building in five years because in five years we're going to need to build again. And the biggest problem most churches have is that they then have, you know, in five years when we need to build again, still have another ten years of debt. That math doesn't work. So we need 17 people who would say, I'll give an extra hundred bucks. Or we need 34 people who will say, I'll give an extra $50 a month over and above what I'm giving. Or we need 68 people to give $25 a month over that five-year period so that we can pay this thing off. And Janie and I have prayed about this and talked about it, and we're going to give an extra $100. Um, that is over and above our tithe. And it, you, you'll always know what our tithe is because if you look at the budget, you can figure out what our, what our salary is. So there's always going to be a tithe. We're going to, tithe, we're going to give over and above that 100 bucks. So what that means is then we need 16 more people to give $100 a month or 32 to give 50 or 64 to give 25 Now, I want to ask you, if God decides to pay the building off in three years, who's going to get the glory for that, us or God? God. But do you think He will ever decide to just gift us money if we're not being responsible with what He's already given us? Does that make sense? Because if we just go along for for 15 years and, and pay this off, you know what every one of us will say when we get to that time and we burn the note, we'll go, look what we did. woo Fifteen years. You realize that's 2023? Fifteen years, I'll be nearing my 60th birthday? I'll be dead before then. We've got to pay this thing off before that. But if we are faithful and do what we can do, God always multiplies that, and it will not surprise me at all if God pays the thing off in less than that. Now, the last thing is you've got to remember, never, never, never forget why NLCC exists. We don't exist for people who are already here. We exist to reach people who are far from God, help them connect with God and other people. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Jesus said, For even I, the Son of Man, came, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. If you think about it, how could God's Son serve and give His life for worthless people, sinful people? It's because He had the heart of His Father. He lived out what He believed, and it changed history. And I just want you to know that you can change history as well if you'll get involved in what God is doing. If you want your life to count, and, and this is all the decisions we make, Janie and I make, it is with this church in mind, this, this body of believers. Not even the building, this body of believers. We just, we're like, we've got to do whatever we can. And as you begin to serve and as you begin to give, your heart for this place go, grows. And you know what Jesus said? He said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. The reason we focus three weeks on your heart is because hard-hearted people don't serve, hard-hearted people don't give. Hard-hearted people really don't care for others. But when you get the new heart, God gives you this capacity to love and to give and to serve. And when we keep our eyes on Him, God is going to do something in our lifetimes that we would not believe if He had told us ahead of time. And I, for one, want to be a part of that. And I'm looking for as many people as we can find to join me in changing history in Anderson County. Let's pray together.